Good morning, Grace Chapel. It is good to see you that you made it out. Uh, it's a new year. What are you going to do? <laughs> okay. As a singer-songwriter wrote and sang, it's a, I actually have this on my playlist. I listen to it all the time. He sang of our new life in Christ, and it goes like this. He said, it's a new day. Things are going to change. It's a new day. Things are going to change. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You can do one of two things, love or hate. As I said, it's on my playlist. And every time I hear him say those words, I long to love as a child of God. I long to love more and I long to love better. And I realize I have a long way to go. How about you? So it's a new year. What are we going to do? But good. Okay, I'm glad nobody said hate. I mean, I was, you always wonder. There's always one in the crowd, but we're going to love. Next week, next week we dig into the Gospel of John. Uh, like every book in the Bible, an amazing study. I could say that every time, and I will. Um, but we're going to dig into the Gospel of John. And John has been called by many people the apostle of? Yes, right. Yeah, love. There's that word again. Do you like that word, love? What the world needs now <laughs> is God's love, all right? And he's God's love. He's also the writer of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, three letters chock full of the theme of love. Pretty cool. But he also penned the revelation of Jesus Christ with God's full wrath on display. So you're all big on love. How many of you are big on God's wrath? I have three or four people, yeah, and you're like, well, yeah, people, not for me, but there's, there's a couple people I know, and no, of course, you're not saying that, but have you ever read the last couple chapters of the revelation of Jesus Christ? How does it end? Love, like we have never seen to date, yeah. So that's where we're going to be for the next three months or so, because, you know, as a pastor, you have the privilege of extending things if, if, if you need to. But um, for the next three months of this new year, it's where we're going to be. John's gospel account of Jesus. It's going to be, I just love it. But this morning, uh, as Ben said in the announcements, as we prepare for our remembering of our Lord's death, burial, and resurrection through communion together, I want to introduce you to God's amazing truth as found in the Gospel of John. Let's pray before we go there. Heavenly Father, as we enter into this study of your glory, in your glorious word, uh, the Gospel of John, Lord, I pray first and foremost that we would see you, that we'd see your son Jesus, that we would know the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives as your word is revealed and opened, as we are challenged and changed and encouraged. Lord, we understand that you have a work to do in us, and it continues until the, the day of Jesus Christ returning. And God, uh, we open our hearts and our minds to you right now to look into this introduction to this book and to be consumed by it, consumed by you. And we pray it in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen. Okay, here's three familiar guys, Peter, James, and John, yeah, yeah. How many, how many times, 
in church have you heard that trio mentioned? Like, it just rolls off the lips, right? Like Peter, Paul, and Mary. Um, maybe more. Yeah, Peter, Peter James, and John. They, they were Jesus' primary disciples. These were the three big guys. Um, three men who Jesus exclusively invited to trudge up a mountain with him and allowed them to see him in his transfigured form. They got a glimpse of the glory of God. It literally blew them off the top of the mountain. Jesus took them places. He took them places. He didn't take anyone else. Jesus shared things with these three guys. He told them things that he didn't tell anyone else. But even among those three, most people would agree that John was the closest one to Jesus. John even called himself, in the gospel we're about to get into, the apostle whom Jesus loved. And here are just a couple of examples of this apostle John's relationship with Jesus Christ that we're going to come across as we go through this gospel together. First, this one. Consider how this scene from the Last Supper unfolds. It's in John 13, verses 21 to 26. And after saying these things, how Jesus was telling them about what's to come, what's going to happen to him, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Wow, can you imagine being there? And the disciples looked at one another, as we are all prone to do, uncertain of whom he spoke. And then one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at a table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. You know, he gave him that look. He's like... So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So John's beside Jesus during the meal at a very, you know, important place at the table, reclining with Jesus. And Peter, knowing that Jesus would tell John what he meant by what he had just said, prompted John to ask, who's going to betray you? What did you mean by that? Who is it? And Jesus told him told John. Consider this scene a few days after that, a scene at the cross. It's in John 19, starting in verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is a really special relationship. Now, we know Jesus loves everybody, right? You, if you've been in church and you heard that in Sunday school, I'm sure you did, right? Jesus loves all the children, all the children of the world, right? We know that Jesus loves everybody. Jesus we learn in the Gospels in particular, even loved his enemies and called his followers to do likewise. But John was one of his closest friends. 
And John's gospel, we're going to find as we go through it, it's, it's very different. It's even written in a completely different style than all the other gospels. By the way, how many gospels are there in the Bible? Written gospel letters. Very good. Four. Yes. It, it was a fairly easy answer. Um, but you get marks for getting it. All right. There's four. And of the four gospels, John is probably the last one of the four written. So all the other gospels have gone out, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so they've been out for quite a few years. And John comes along and he capsulates it in his own words, in his own, in his own, does his own thing with it by the power of God and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew and Mark, I mean, Matthew and Luke, they both begin by setting the scene by G- for Jesus' birth. That's how they begin their Gospels. Uh, uh, scenes that you and I just recounted a couple of weeks ago, right? We read those familiar nativity stories. That's how they begin. Mark, he begins by setting the scene for Jesus' approximately three and a half years of ministry. He's already, at the beginning of Mark, in Mark chapter 1, he's already around 28 years of age or so, and Jesus gets introduced to the world by John the Baptist, another John, right away in Mark 1. John, though, he begins his gospel at the very beginning, and I mean the very beginning. John states in his opening sentence that Jesus has eternally existed. Look at uh, verses 1 to 3. Ben read them. They bear reading many, many more times. Listen to this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was, you say it, with God. And the Word, say it, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Full stop. The other Gospels took a different approach under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they described Jesus' heritage. And they described that heritage from an earthly perspective. We can all relate and identify with that. John, in contrast, doesn't start right off with Jesus' ministry or, or, or Jesus' parents or even uh, John the Baptist's introduction of Him right away. Before any of that, John the Apostle describes Jesus' eternal pre-existence. And you're just like, that, that, those opening three verses, you're just like, let's just camp here for the next year, all right, and just try to consider this and compare it to the rest. I mean, you could. And John calls Him the Word of God. John's opening words, in the beginning, make you think of Genesis 1.1. Yeah, yeah. If you've read anything in the Bible, if you, if you started your one-year Bible plan, as most people do the first week of, of January every year, you usually start with Genesis 1.1. So you probably got that one down. It's the most read verse, right? Because by the time you get to Leviticus, you off the end which I recommend you just keep going. Keep, do it, try it again. Start with Genesis 1-1 and keep going. There in Genesis 1-1, God delivers His opening deafening salvo uh, to His creation about how we all got here and where did all of this come from. Genesis 1-1 reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Done. John 1.1 says, in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
The Greek term that John uses here is translated word, and that Greek word is the word logos. Scholars have done a ton of research on this word. Books. You come to this portion in some commentaries, and it's just page after page after page. So I'll save you reading. I'll save you having to read all that. It's the Greek word, and it has a number of nuances. Some of those nuances play a huge role in Greek philosophy and even philosophy today at the university level. But John is using it here in a Hebrew way. Basically, what it means is expression. Jesus is the expression of God to us. To quote D.A. Carson, Jesus is God's ultimate self-disclosure in the person who is His own Son. In other words, if you want to see what God is like, just take a look at Jesus. So instead of talking about Jesus' earthly heritage, like the other Gospels' uh, narratives, John goes straight to his pre-existence. He's always been. The one who hung on the cross, the one who shed his blood for your sin and for my sin, the one who rose from the grave on the third day, that Jesus worked alongside God the Father and God the Spirit to create the universe. People often say that Jesus was the agent of creation. Hebrews 1-2, it's a great parallel verse to John 1-1. And it says, in these last days, so in the time we now live, God has spoken to us through His Son, through whom He created the world. Another great parallel is 2 Corinthians 4-6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. John roots Jesus' identity in eternity past, something that just makes your mind hurt, right? Your brain just aches trying to comprehend that. Eternity past. It's, it's an extremely difficult to comprehend reality. It really is. It's a mind bender. The Son of God sent to earth as fully God and yet also fully man. And we're going to discover that as we go through this Gospel of John, that John um, organizes all of his thoughts about the life and times of Jesus Christ around these narrative strands that highlight seven signs and seven teachings of Jesus. You'll see that in the study notes that are going to be available next week as you go through it. It's rich. It's multi-layered and faceted. Um, it, it's a, some have called it a very cosmic display of the identity, the, the words and the works and the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ. In John's account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're going to learn that Jesus is the Son of God. We're going to learn that He was sent by God the Father to give eternal life to everyone who will believe in Him, to everyone. And we're going to watch together as 
as Jesus repeatedly shatters people's assumptions of how life works, of how salvation works. Jesus teaches us that salvation is not earned. You can't do that. Get off that kick. It doesn't work. It ends in frustration, depression. But rather, salvation is a free gift that is received through the miracle of grace. Or to, to use the same words that Jesus uh, defines it as to Nicodemus, as we're going to see in John chapter 3, being born again. Again, as Nicodemus said, how can, I can, how can that happen? Well, Jesus is going to tell us. And we're going to pick out this constant theme of mission, something that's been lost on the church, I think especially in recent years. Just as God the Father sent God the Son to earth, God the Son now sends His brothers and sisters. You and I are who, who are His followers through faith in His death on the cross for our sin to continue that mission. And the mission is simply to testify that Jesus is the Son of God. It's really simple. Uh, you, you can put it on a t-shirt, <laughs> but it's rarely spoken. Our mission is to tell everyone who will listen that John 3.16, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's our mission. John's purpose in writing the gospel account is captured um, at the very end, and he tells us what it is. Uh, It's John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. And he tells us in another verse close to this that if you tried to put them all in a book, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain them all. But he did not. But these that I have put down are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's why I wrote the book. That's the message that you and I are supposed to be sharing on a daily basis. Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Son of God, sent to earth to fulfill everything that the Old Testament anticipated. It's now done, filled, it is finished. And He brings this new life. He brings this eternal life to a very dark world. And that's something for you and I to get excited about, right? Because this planet, arguably, has never been darker. Oh, there's all kinds of people spouting off all kinds of hope and and things that things are going to change. But without Jesus, it's it's not. It's not going to change. It's very dark outside. So before we take participate in communion together, I want us to prepare our hearts and our minds for this celebration event to remember by focusing on just a few verses from John chapter 1. And I'm going to be looking specifically at John chapter 1, 5 to 13, very quickly, but hopefully very profoundly. Look at this. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Are you seeing that? Are you getting that picture? 
John the Apostle says that Jesus is the light of the world, but the darkness is in the world, but it has not overcome him. You see, there's my hope. There's your hope. When, when we get up every day, it's dark out there. It really is. Admit it, acknowledge it. Yes, it is. But it can't quench Jesus. It can't. He exposes it. It vanishes and runs in His presence. Now look at verses 10 to 11. He was in the world, this darkness, and the world (laughs) was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, even His own people, the Jews, and they did not receive Him. Though Jesus the Christ made the world, created the world out of nothing, and then entered personally into that world at huge sacrifice, that very same world did not recognize Him, even after He revealed Himself. You see, that's the drama that we're going to find in the book of John. We're going to see it in every one of the weekly Bible studies. We're going to see it in every one of the messages that are preached on Sunday morning for the next three months. Though Jesus is the Son of God, no one recognizes what's so plainly true. No one understands Jesus, not you, not me, unless God shines the light in our heart. Paul captures this for us. It's in Romans chapter 3. It's in verses 19, uh, verse 9 through 12. And he says, after talking about how we in the world got to this place that we're in, he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off than the rest of the world? No, not at all. For we have already charged, as I've just done in the first two chapters, both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. Everybody. As it is written, none is righteous. That would include everybody. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. As you do this study, and as we go through these messages Sunday after Sunday, you're going to, be, you're going to want to be really sensitive to this particular theme. I believe and I pray that as we go through this study together, we're going to be driven to share Jesus. Like it's going to be the conclusion It's going to be the anticipation, the motivation. We're going to want to share Jesus with those who haven't trusted Him yet, and we're going to to be inspired to encourage each other because we need this as a church family. We're going to be inspired to encourage all of us who have placed their trust in Jesus to continue to trust Him daily because it is hard, is it not? 
Is there, is there, are there not sidetracks everywhere? But there will be, through all of that, this, this rejection. Uh, there will often be heartache, as many of you in your own families are experiencing. There will most definitely be frustration. What is so obvious to you, what is so ingrained in you, what you are so passionate about and you just want other people to get it, others are blind to. Even after you so cleverly and carefully and prayerfully tell them the truth, there's this blindness, there's this wall, there's this rejection. It's like, oh yeah, okay, that's fine, that's nice. But what we get in John every step of the way is Jesus shines light into the darkness. And Jesus creates life out of death to everyone who receives Him. And you and I who have placed our trust in the trustworthy one, we who we're all once the walking dead ourselves. God has made us walk in newness of life. So let's walk like it's true. <laughs> I see too many Christians with miserable looks on their faces. They're like, are you saved? Like, do you get it? But the world's in such a bad shape. You know it has been since Adam and Eve? You know, what's going on in the world right now isn't new. I, I believe it's even in the Bible. I think, believe Solomon captured it with the statement, there is nothing new under the sun. That's either true or it's false. And I'm banking on true. Yeah, we've got so much to live for. In verses 12 and 13, John says, but to all who did receive him, you see, there is hope. There are people who are going to receive this message of truth that comes from your lips as God shines the light in their hearts. There's hope. Who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is something God does. We just carry the message. We just live the message like it's true. Have you put your trust in Jesus? Are you daily placing your hope and your trust in God? A great parallel verse is 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is a reality. This is, I know that we're getting new bodies one day and we always think, oh, that's when it's going to be, that's when I get it. No, no, no. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's already happening. It's a new day. Things are going to change. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Are, are you new? Come on, are you new? Jesus, Jesus is 100% grace, and he's 100% truth all at the same time. He's just that good. Theologians have also noted that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. 
He's not part God or part man. He's not God sometimes and man sometimes. He's 100% of them both all the time. And that's called the incarnation. In the words of Gregory the theologian, who you've probably all just read recently, it's the fourth century A.D., he said, what is not assumed, speaking of Jesus, and what He did on the cross, is not healed. God became man. Jesus, who is God's Son, while being God, became a man to redeem mankind. And it's with that backdrop and that in mind that we go to communion together right now. This wafer represents that